I suspect there are many people here who wonder about the actions of the Mass, you know, the liturgy. Why does he do that? Or why is it done that way? And without covering all of these things, I'd just like to talk about one. Have you ever wondered why, before the Eucharistic prayer begins, so the gifts are brought, and then I place the gifts on the altar, and then afterward I turn and, and wash my hands. Why does he do that? Do priests have exceptionally dirty hands? <laughs> just, or maybe they're just really sanitary or something like that. No. It's, it's a symbolic washing. And the reason why is because, of course, the priesthood of God goes all the way back into the Old Testament. It's not merely some New Testament creation, but the priests of God existed all the way back for thousands of years into the Old Testament. And a priest is a priest because he does one thing, principally. He offers sacrifice. That's what a priest does. He offers sacrifice on behalf of the people to God. And in the Old Testament, it was so. And the Lord God gave instructions to the priest. Before you enter the temple, you have to be made pure. You have to be made pure through washing. And so there were ritual washings of hands and feet before you would enter into the Holy of Holies, before you would enter and offer sacrifice. And so even to this day, we have this lineage of the priesthood that the priest symbolically washes his hands, all right, as a way of asking for the purity to be purified so that he may offer an acceptable sacrifice on the altar. Now, we move to the gospel. And they're testing Jesus as they do. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? What do I have to do? Well, you need to be a person who loves God with your entire being and who loves your neighbor as yourself. And they tested him further. Well, what does that look like to love my neighbor? And then Jesus gives the familiar parable of the Good Samaritan. So remember, as I've said before, um, the Samaritans and Jews hated each other. Hated each other. I mean, I, I made the comparison before about Democrats and Republicans, but I think it's even worse than that. I mean, it's really worse than that, because I think, I think actually Democrats and Republicans, you know, there's still that bond as Americans. You know, we would help each other out, and we do in times of need. But this was kind of one of those splits where they hated each other so much they, they, would off, they would even have instances of killing each other, right? They, had, they would have nothing to do. Jews would have nothing to do with Samaritans and vice versa. Okay, so we hear the parable about a man who's coming down from Jerusalem to Jericho, which is a descent of about 3,300 feet. And it's not nice sidewalks, right? I mean, it's dirty roads down this descent, 3,300 feet. And robbers beat him up and leave him for dead. And then we hear about the priest and the Levite who come by from Jerusalem. Now, what they probably just, it's not said, but it's, it's implied heavily that these priests just got done offering sacrifice in the temple, which means they were ritually pure. 
And according to the law of God, if, if somebody outside of the family touched a dead body, they would have to go through a seven-day ritual purification again. So they would have had to have gone back up to Jerusalem, back up that dusty road, 3,300 feet, or however far down it was, at the point where the robber was. They, they would be really put out if they helped this man who maybe was already dead, if not dying. And so, because the priest and the Levite were following the law of God, their, their uh, desire to follow the law and to not be bothered, really, to not be put out, was more important than helping their fellow Jew. Here's a man who, who could already be dead, but if, if I go over and help him, number one, I help him, and I'm just put out. It's inconvenient. And he's probably dead anyway. You know, you know how the things could go through a person's head. But also, if I touch him, I've got to go back up and spend seven more days being ritually purified. I'll just go about my business and not worry about it. And then here comes a Samaritan. A Samaritan who, again, they hated each other. Truly, deathly hated each other. So as the parable goes, the Samaritan sees the man, a Jew, helps him, brings him to an inn, and takes care of him, bandages him up, etc. And then even tells the innkeeper, if there's any further incurred costs, let me know and I'll, I'll, I'll give you remuneration. Jesus says that's what it means to love one's neighbor. All right, so hopefully our minds are, are spinning a bit. It's not that big of a deal to help those who we love. Jesus says this. To, to love those who love us, even the pagans do that. To help those who help us, even the pagans do that. Of course we love those who love us. Of course we're kind to those who are kind to us. The demand of the gospel is to be charitable to those who hate us. That's why it's radical. Because we shouldn't have to do it, right? That sense of human justice. And certainly the Jews who are hearing him are thinking, you've got to be kidding me. Why should we have to help them? Which is what every Green Bay Packer fan says about Minnesota Viking fans. <laughs> They're that horrible team that's never won a championship. Why should we have to help them? But it's even worse than that, right? And I think the human sense of, of justice, not only if we dislike somebody, but if they've done something to us, you know, if they've done something horrible to us, well, they deserve what they get. I'm not going to help them. That's what often wells up within us. But Jesus says we're, we're to be different. If we're going to be his follower, it's different. It's, it should be different. Of course we should love those, take care of those whom we love. But what about those who we hate or we struggle with hating, right? We're not supposed to hate anybody, but that emotion. What about those who hate us? What about those who have offended us? The Lord says, if we're going to be neighbor to them, that means being charitable to them, even, even when it's the most difficult thing for us to do. Once again, this all goes back to the question of eternal life. 
And I think there's a presumption nowadays that everybody's going to get into heaven. Everybody just thinks, well, I'm going to go and be an angel in heaven. Number one, you'll never be an angel because you can't ontologically, but that's a whole different homily, which I can't get into right now. Humans don't become angels. But the presumption that everybody gets into heaven, Jesus doesn't make that presumption. Now, you might say, well, Father, are you trying to condemn us? No, I want everybody to get into heaven. Of course I do. And I think pretty much probably, I mean, my, my own personal bias I think probably God finds a way for pretty much everybody except for those who don't want to be there. The only ones who don't get in are the ones who ultimately don't want to be there. What else is God going to do with them? But part of wanting to be there is becoming the kind of person Christ calls us to be. And that's what he says. To the question, how do I inherit eternal life? Be a loving person. Be a loving person which is not, a, not principally an emotion, it's an action. Father, it doesn't always feel good to love. No, it doesn't. All of you who have had to change diapers, I see, see some little kids out there, that, that can't, I've never changed a diaper in my life. <laughs> and I do not plan on it. Um, because there's gotta be some benefits to being celibate. Um, <laughs> there's gotta be some perks. I get to watch the entire NFL draft, March Madness, you know, and I don't have to change diapers. But, but I cannot imagine that that's something as a parent you're really happy about all the time. Again, how many times in a day is this good kid going to fill a diaper, you know? Um, but it's a loving act, right? It's a loving act. And parents really model this, this, uh, this dynamic between loving and liking. You don't always like what you have to do, but you do it because you love. And I think that's one of the difficulties we have, sort of getting our heads around what Jesus is asking. He's not asking us to like everybody, to feel good about everybody. He's commanding us to love them anyway. Even if we don't like them, we still treat them with charity. This is why it's radical. And this is why it's demanding. The most demanding thing isn't keeping the commandments. I mean, what's harder to do? Not commit murder or try to love everybody in your life. I mean, I don't find myself going throughout my day saying, boy, geez, I just want to murder people and I just, I'm so tempted I can't stop myself, right? That's not really a general temptation for people. It's not that hard not to do that. But it's hard to love when we're in a hurry, when we're anxious, when we're tired, when we're resentful, when we're angry, when we've had a long day, then it's hard to love. Every day, it's hard to love. And yet, this is the kind of person, these are the kinds of people that Jesus wants. People who love, no matter how hard it is. Please stand.